Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day weekend. Not a birthing person's weekend, but uh, uh, a great time with your your mom and all the great moms in your life. Uh, Good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, we start at the state level. Uh, We often say that uh, state government, and even smaller than that, are sometimes the laboratories for democracy, and given the political divide in this country right now, it's very different what we're seeing in red-leaning states compared to what we're seeing in Washington and in blue-leaning states. And one of the nice things about a lot of states, a lot of them red, is that their legislative sessions are pretty short, and Texas is one of those. And so they're trying to get things done that they really want to get done. And so in 48 hours, Greg Abbott reports over the weekend, the Texas House voted to defund cities that defund police, ban abortions after the detection of a heartbeat, slash star test requirements, those are the uh, state education tests, ban homeless camping statewide, penalize protesters blocking roads, and ensure election integrity, making it easy to vote and hard to cheat. Now, obviously, you want to look more closely at these things, make sure you like uh, the details of, of these things, but... Uh, We generally certainly like the direction of where things are are going here. I think uh, defunding cities that defund police, uh, heartbeat abortion bills, um, penalizing protesters, blocking the roads, election integrity, all of these things are are critically important. We'll see if they actually get to uh, Abbott's desk, and and I assume he'll sign them. Uh, He's a guy who's been under a little bit of heat for, in the minds of some in Texas, being too stringent with the COVID restrictions, and his numbers seem to be ticking back up lately as a result of uh, everything Uh, kind of being rolled back there. So uh, getting some accomplishments on these conservative principles ought to help him too, assuming he's running next year. Yeah. And I I think it's kind of interesting, Greg, in light of the, you know, it's now a perennial argument. If not quite, Texas is a blue state now, then, you know, Texas, it's going to be a blue state any day now, just you wait and see. (laughs) And of course, very rarely it shakes out that way. Um, In fact, it really hasn't shaken out that way for a couple of decades. You could give a little bit of credit to Beto O'Rourke coming within three points of Ted Cruz back in 2018. Um, But I think we, you know, saw from the presidential campaign that Beto O'Rourke was much more popular in theory against Ted Cruz in a Senate race than he was nationally. And that there really wasn't a ton of evidence. There was a little bit of, you know, some House gains down ticket. And they had some gains in the state legislature down ticket in 2018. Uh, Biden did not make it particularly close. And, uh, uh, Republicans are feeling pretty darn good about their chances, partially through redistricting. Texas is once, gonna, once again going to add two more congressional districts to its already considerable sum. Um, and so the attitude of Republicans, OK, we can make up a bunch of House seats here in Texas. And in addition, we should be you know, doing really well up and down the ballot. Uh, they don't have a Senate race this year uh, coming up the cycle, but they have a governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general. And this uh, interesting name, George P. Bush is thinking about running for attorney general. Uh, a bunch of other state uh, state uh, positions, agriculture commissioner, railroad commissioner, and things like that. And I do, I, I guess the thing that um, jumps out at me was 20, 2014, in my mind, isn't that long ago. And that was the year of Wendy Davis. That was the year of Julian Castro and Joaquin Castro and the Game On cover of Texas Monthly. And this was one of the first times I remember, oh, Texas, here come the Democrats. They're going to make a big t- comeback in Texas. And uh, as we all probably remember, you know, the Texas Democrats did a terrible year in 2014. What people may not remember is that Wendy Davis and her pink sneakers, as much as 
folks like me really enjoyed making fun of her. She was the top of the ticket. She did better than everybody else. Uh, everybody else was getting further walloped, and most of them by minimum like 60% win for Republicans. In a lot of cases, it was like a two to one margin. Just an absolutely abysmal year. So I think that the Texas Republicans are putting their, their chips, pushing their chips on the table and saying, we think our base of a party wants conservative policies. We think the state wants conservative policies. We are not convinced that we are uh, turning into a purple state or teetering on the brink of a uh, really, you know, bad situation. 2018 was about as bad a, a political environment as Republicans could possibly expect. We didn't lose. We think 2022 is going to be even better for us. We feel really good, like we've got the wind going into our back. We'll see how this shakes out. But on the other hand, if you're a conservative in Texas, you really don't have any reason to complain these guys aren't pushing far, far, fast enough or hard enough on enough issues across the board. Yeah, that's exactly right. We mentioned it uh, in a different context. I think when the uh, census numbers came out about redistricting and who gets to decide where the, the districts are drawn, uh, elections have consequences, not just uh, for people headed to Washington, but uh, all over the map. And Texas is one of those places. Democrats had high hopes, didn't get control of either chamber. And uh, as a result, conservatives can uh, move legislation like this forward. So it's actually good to cheer legislative accomplishments that we like. Uh, it's not going to happen for a while in Washington. So uh, glad to see it uh, uh, where we can. And Texas is certainly a great place to see that happen. But if you're still stressed about what's happening in Washington, or you just want to make sure that the Republicans in your state legislature get done everything you want them to get done, uh, don't let that stress linger in your shoulders. Get a Theragun. Uh, you don't want that stuff weighing on your body. So whether you're an elite athlete or just someone like us, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can really help. I noticed Greg says we're not elite athletes. Sorry, Jim. We are, Greg. <laughs> They can't see us. Let them let them believe that we're elite athletes. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. It's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or you're recovering from an injury, or it's just the stress of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. And the OLED screen and design will make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. That is the most amazing part of this. It actually pays attention to the way you're using it randomly, whether it's on your feet, uh, your legs, your back, uh, your shoulders, whatever. And then it comes up with these uh, routines because it realizes, okay, these are the areas that need attention. How about this? And then you can just uh, let it do its routine. And when it uh, tells you to move, it you move it. And it's that simple. And so you go in with with tension and stress and, and pain. Uh, for me, it's in the upper shoulders a lot of the time, sometimes in the lower back. Uh, and then Theragun, it just does the job. And there's different sizes of Theraguns. And some we got the Theragun Pro. There's the Theragun Gen 4. And so whatever is right for you, Theragun really does uh, make a difference. My wife loves it. I like it. And it's, uh, it's just a great product. So Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers. And yes, even me, uh, who I guess is an elite athlete. Uh, we weren't drafted uh, the other week there, but uh, maybe it's- We're staring at that phone. We're, we're yeah, ready. Exactly. We're, uh, we're free agents. We're ready to go to camp. Joe Douglas needs a punter. 
Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash martini, theragun.com slash martini. All right, Jim. There are few places that Americans understand where prices are rising quite like the gas pump. And uh, in 17 states and the District of Columbia, they could be feeling it severely. Uh, This is Bloomberg. Fuel suppliers are growing increasingly nervous about the possibility of gasoline and diesel shortages across the eastern U.S. almost two days after a cyber attack knocked out a massive pipeline. Colonial Pipeline on Sunday in the U.S. said it was still developing a plan for restarting the nation's largest fuel pipeline, a critical source of supply for the New York region, and would only bring it back when safe to do so and in full compliance with the approval of all federal regulations. Gas futures surged by as much as 4.2% in Asian trading on Monday. And of course, this uh, is coming as uh, demand is expected to rise. We're headed towards the summer driving season. More people are going to fly. Uh, The Biden administration has decided to issue uh, an executive declaration here, emergency declaration that would loosen restrictions on tankers delivering fuel to the affected areas, which basically means uh, they can uh, build up more overtime hours and work on less sleep. But let's not pretend that as, as great of a job they're doing, the tankers are going to uh, do everything that the pipeline would do here. So, Jim, this is uh, especially exciting to me as we're expected to go on vacation on Saturday. What do you make of the fact that uh, this is happening? Uh, our infrastructure appears to be vulnerable. Uh, I know you wrote about it today in the Jolt. So what's your key takeaway here? Yeah, well, the first thing is that I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on cybersecurity. This is a a fact of life in the modern era. Greg, I don't know about you. I do start wondering, though, um, we did have the ability to pump oil before the internet, didn't we? Can you break out the old gauges and all that kind of stuff? Like you're, You're kind of left scratching your head saying, wait a second, wait a second. Why can't we, you know... The oil goes in this end, comes out that end. It probably shouldn't be uh, so impossible, but I'm assuming that because everything is now much more technologically advanced and internet-based and all that sort of thing, that there's all kinds of everything from pressure gauges to uh, flow rate measurements and, and all kinds of stuff like that is now controlled by the internet and they're trying to regain control of their systems. Um, now, look, the company that operates it thinks they could have control back in a couple of days. They're beginning the very kind of, the Colonial Pipeline is beginning the very small steps to make sure that uh, the systems are still working here. But And the other thing is that most places have a couple of days worth of supply. By the way, keep in mind, this is not just gasoline fuel, it's also jet fuel. Um, so if you're flying out of certain airports on the East Coast, including Baltimore, Washington International, you could be in deep doo-doo. Now, all this is happening as gas prices already pretty darn high, as probably most listeners have noticed, uh, 60% higher than they were a year ago, according to AAA. Now, obviously, last year, this time, we were not at the worst of the pandemic. I think March and April were the worst of it, but we were very slowly climbing out of it, and demand for gas was much lower. Hey, good news. We're all much more vaccinated, and people are out traveling more. Summer is approaching, and people are like, okay, I want to go, go I want to travel more. They're buying more gasoline. The group that is suspected this is called Dark Side. They should not only be looking out for U.S. Uh, uh, national security and law enforcement, they should be looking out for Lucasfilm and Disney lawyers. Um, <laughs> I, I do credit them for, for truth in advertising. Um, they, they, have, they say they have a code of honor. You can't see the air quotes as I say that because they say <laughs> they won't attack hospitals, schools, nonprofits, or government targets. 
Say, fellas, who do you think uses all that oil and gasoline that goes through that pipeline? Oh, we're not hitting them. We're just not making, we're making it impossible for them to get gas, which makes things tougher. So that's the, I won't pretend to know if this was a uh, preventable screw up in the realm of cybersecurity. As our, fi- as our firewalls and protective systems get better, the hackers get better. And it's sort of a uh, escalating tit for tat between these sorts of things. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'll have to wait and see more to see if I believe that this was some sort of um, preventable screw up that somebody in authority should have seen coming. But what I do think is interesting is that up uh, just about a year ago at, uh, in July, the New York Times was saying, look, you look at all the troubles with the Keystone Pipeline, look at all the lawsuits, all the different ways environmental groups have gotten better at using the regulatory and lawsuit process to slow down the construction of pipelines. Is the end era of pipelines coming to an end? Is it reaching the point where oil and natural gas pipelines are just too uh, expensive and complicated and time-consuming to construct them? There's just time to move on from this concept. So, Greg, the first thing that comes to mind is um, oil and natural gas pipelines, uh, aren't they infrastructure? They are. People are infrastructure, and styrofoam is infrastructure, and cardboard boxes are infrastructure. You know, no, 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 no. Oil and natural gas pipelines, and pumping stations, and fuel depots, and all that. Those are all actual infrastructure, and they do pay pretty darn well. They're nice construction jobs, and take up a whole bunch of time. If you want to create jobs, particularly for blue collar people, these are all really good. Um, so the first thing is I don't understand why any you know democratic administration that insists it's committed to jobs would be just you know shrugging them away. And then the other thing is you look at this and you're like, okay, well, why are we having this huge spike in prices and why are we only be paying more? Well, because we've got one big pipeline that handles so much of this stuff on the East Coast. And it's really important and a whole bunch of the oil goes through there. And if you cut that off, all of a sudden, all these places don't have another way of getting their oil. Maybe we should have redundancies in the system. Maybe it would make sense to have uh, backups and alternate routes to get the oil from one place to another or something like that. It doesn't mean, you know, the hackers could never strike again or they couldn't try to start hack two, two different routes uh, leading to the same place. But at least one, particularly if they have two different cybersecurity systems, you make the job harder for the hackers to not be able to do both things simultaneously. Uh, and you lessen their leverage because right now the reason these, hack- these hackers want ransom, they're able to demand it because you can cut it off. If you just say, okay, instead of putting it through pipeline A, we're going to put it through pipeline B. The company is more likely to say to tell these guys go pound sand because we can work around what you've done to us and you know get your virus and all of your malware out of our systems and things like that. So, look, I don't pretend to be an expert on this, but I do think it does raise. We all hear oh, you know, important issues of critical infrastructure. Well, this seems like pretty darn critical infrastructure, and it seems like the sort of thing we want to be building more redundancies into the system, not preventing building more of these pipelines because you've decided they're bad for the environment and you know we can all rely on windmills or something like that. Jim, just a couple of quick follow-ups on this. First of all, yes, uh, oil was pumped before the internet age. I know this because I used to watch the Dukes of Hazard on Friday nights. And after that, Dallas would come on and uh, Ewing Oil definitely was uh, was pumping a, a lot of uh, oil out of the ground. In fact, the only thing more plentiful than oil on that show, I think, was bourbon, as I recall. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and think about it, this is a very Texas-focused podcast. Today. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> exactly. And of course, J.R. Ewing stabbing somebody in the back, uh, naturally. Uh, the other thing is, I'm wondering if um, this dark side group is run by a fourth Gruber brother, because, you know, they're claiming they're not monsters, and there seems like they're diverting a lot of attention to the pipeline. So I'm just wondering what Federal Reserve they're robbing. It sounds like terrorism, but it's really a heist. Yes, this does fit their, <laughs> their MO. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's talk about something more 
comforting than sky-high gas prices, and that is the My Pillow six-piece towel set. Now on sale by a huge amount here, regularly $109.99, now just $44.98 when you use the promo code Martini at MyPillow.com. MyPillow towel sets are made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft without that lotiony feel. They're made with cotton grown right here in the United States. They're available in a variety of colors. They have a 60-day money-back guarantee, a one-year limited warranty. And keep in mind, each set includes two bath sheets, two hand towels, and one two-pack washcloth. It's really the only towels I use anymore. They're so nice. They're big, they're fluffy, they're soft. They get you dry faster than any towel I've ever used before. I really do love these towels. So go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener's square, enter the promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow premium pillows, and the new My Slippers. Get your MyPillow six-piece towel set for only $44.98. That's $65 off, but only with our promo code MARTINI. So use it when you call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini. Now, we should also point out there's going to be a uh, champagne toast at the end of this as well, looking at a uh, conservative figure who passed away over the weekend. But uh, for our crazy martini, we're focusing on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, who is under the gun yet again. He's, of course, being investigated for the nursing home death uh, cover-up related to COVID. He's got uh, whatever it is now, eight, nine, maybe more uh, sexual harassment accusers. Uh, We've got the uh, staff being used to help out with the book. We've got the family and friends getting able to being able to cut the line in COVID testing early on. Lots lots on the, the docket here, but now there's even more. And I think we've referred to this in passing. The state attorney general's office has expanded its investigations from the Wall Street Journal of sexual harassment allegations against Governor Cuomo to look at whether one of his top advisors linked access to COVID-19 vaccines to support for the governor. Uh, Investigators have interviewed at least three Democratic County executives who said they were surprised to receive calls from Larry Schwartz, a volunteer advisor who oversaw vaccine distribution for the state, asking whether they would be calling for Mr. Cuomo's resignation. Schwartz contacted more than half a dozen executives in early March, according to executives, as Mr. Cuomo faced mounting calls for his resignation. The executives said at the time of Mr. Schwartz's calls that they were typically speaking with him about the allocation of vaccine supplies and not politics. Schwartz has said he didn't link vaccine distribution to political consideration. So, Jim, given how everybody's pension here is to just move on, I'm not sure how much of a difference this will make, but uh, the uh, the pile of logs of the fire that should be the impeachment or resignation of Andrew Cuomo keeps getting bigger and bigger here. Yeah, let's keep in mind that um, uh, you, you'd think any one of these scandals would be enough to get people to say, okay, that's it, this guy's got to go. And they keep, you know, stacking up higher and higher um, Andrew Cuomo might be the only guy in the world who can get out of a killing seniors in a, in a senior citizen center scandal through a terrible sexual harassment scandal. That's just, that's his, his uh, escape route on that one. Um, it's kind of interesting. You, you do, there is a one quote from one of those County executives. They don't say which one, I assume this is, uh, in the complaint and they probably redacted which County executive to avoid retribution, but it says, quote, right at the time that every County was working and desperately needed more vaccines, to receive a call from the person who was responsible for allocating those doses, gauging political loyalty to the governor was an obvious conflict and at best ethically gray. Now, every, well, every time somebody asks me, you know, it says to someone, oh, you know, this is kind of an ethical gray area. 
Greg, is it gray or really kind of more of a charcoal? <laughs> Excellent Fletch reference. Good work. Okay. Uh, I just observe, like, this is not, you know, if, like, you know, like, really, really, do you think that there's anything? And I just want to observe, Greg, is there a single scandal that uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been accused of that Andrew Cuomo has not actually committed? <laughs> right. Oh, man. It's so true. Absolutely true. It's it's amazing. And so they're still covering for the guy. If DeSantis was guilty of any of these things, uh, the drumbeat would be even louder. And of course, as he gets closer to his official reelection campaign, every little thing is getting blown out of proportion for him. But Andrew Cuomo, who's actually uh, guilty of the worst COVID uh you know, numbers in the co- in the country and uh, lying about the, the numbers, uh, admitting that they didn't want the Justice Department while Trump was president to, to, to get knowledge of all this stuff, uh, the lies, the harassment. I mean, it's just it's just endless. And yet his numbers are pretty good still in New York, at least uh, at least in terms of whether people want him to go. And the media, of course, uh, is, is just happy to play the role of the, the dog uh, and find any squirrel to chase them off the story. As we're having this conversation, Greg, this is why you listen to this podcast. Sometimes you can actually hear the ideas pop into my head, you know, and you're like, I, I can see people who thinking, well, it doesn't take, there's a lot of big echo in there. So you should be able to hear those ideas popping into Jim's head. So during, if you look back on the coverage of 2020, and this is my memory of the coverage, I'm going to have to go back and look to see if this actually matches it. But I remember hearing, God, Ron DeSantis is a lunatic for opening up beaches. And you had that, that nut job lawyer who was dressing up like the Grim Reaper and stuff. I remember Kemp getting a lot of grief for this in Georgia. And Georgia's got a lot of beaches. I don't remember Henry McMaster of South Carolina getting as much, but because I have uh, family down there, I pay a little more attention to how people cover. That basically, you know, all these beaches in the South were, were you considered, you were considered a, a dangerous maniac for letting the beaches open. I don't remember Larry Hogan having, getting nearly as much grief for the beaches in Maryland. I don't remember nearly as much grief to uh, uh, Governor Blackface here in Virginia getting as much. I mean, Virginia Beach was open and people were going to the beaches there. All the beaches on Long Island, like people still went to the beaches. So I think that I could I could be wrong. I'm going to have to go back and check. But I feel like there was this direct proportion to how dangerous your beaches were treated by the media by whether or not your governor was a Republican. And that somehow the coronavirus didn't come to blue state beaches and nobody had to worry about those. If you went to Virginia Beach, if you went to the eastern shore of Maryland, uh, if you went to the Jersey Shore, if you went to Coney Island or any of the beaches on Long Island or something, well, then all of a sudden, then you're, you know, then, then you're safe, you know. But if you went to a Republican state beach, well, that's that's where the virus lives. So you got to be careful. Wow. All right. Well, in our last couple of minutes here, we want to uh, note the passing of an important conservative figure over the past number of decades, uh, Pete DuPont. Uh, He was in line to become uh, head of the DuPont uh, Corporation. And uh, you think... Some families have uh, put pressure on their kids to stay in the family business. I'd say there's probably quite a bit in the DuPont family, but he decided to go into politics, uh, which his family, uh, at least in some circles, thought was a dirty business. But he was elected to the House of Representatives. I didn't realize until reading uh, the reports on his passing this uh, weekend, Jim, that he was actually one of the authors of the War Powers Act. Uh, Then, of course, he was elected governor of Delaware in 1976 uh, as a Republican. Uh, re-elected in 1980. And then in 1988, he uh, ran for president, didn't do very well. Uh, Perhaps he's most famous from that Saturday Night Live skit where Dan Aykroyd as Bob Dole is uh, chiding him for calling himself Pete DuPont instead of his real name is Pierre. Uh, But uh, uh, he was a guy who uh, really 
thought of conservative ideas, thought deeply about ideas. And, uh, you know, that's something that we need more of, uh, having those ideas injected into the public square. Later in his life, he was affiliated with the National Center for Policy Analysis. It was called the NCPA. I think I got uh, the, the words right in the, in the title there. And he used to come into Radio America and cut commentaries, about 90-second commentaries that ran during our programming. First of all, the guy was amazing. He was like always on the mark with how, with how long they were. He was just a you know seemed like a down to earth guy. Didn't expect any any special treatment. But I just love the fact that uh, you know he was an ideas guy, true small government ideas guy. And uh, while personalities matter and and the debates of the day matter, ideas matter a lot too. And I feel like we don't get that as much as we used to, and that's a shame. And of course, it's also a shame that we've lost Pete Dupont. Yeah, uh, Greg, you know, in addition to if you if you have the feeling I'm much more interested in politicians who are excited about ideas than politicians who are, say, excited about social media, um, <laughs> that is the case. And I wonder how much is the influence of Pete DuPont, in part because Pete DuPont is, is I can think about it, probably the only major Republican politician I've ever worked for through the transitive property. Uh, Pete DuPont, so back in the mid to early, mid to late 1990s, Microsoft created Slate. Um, this was back when it was much more explicitly associated with, uh, uh, you know, with the, the Microsoft Corporation. And the idea of publishing an inter- a magazine on the internet that wouldn't have a paper version, you would not be able to go to a newsstand and buy a copy of this, struck people as just otherworldly and weird. Well, not too long after Slate, Pete DuPont was part of a group that created, actually, it turned into two sites. The first one was called intellectualcapital.com, and the other one was called policy.com. And policy.com was probably more of a um, news-focused policy research firm. Uh, I was one of my my first jobs in journalism was at intellectual.com. They hired me as an intern. I was not a sterling person walking through the door, um, but I loved the idea of uh, of doing all this. I loved. Uh, it was, I was I was right of center at the time, but I think I just loved the idea of being part of something and just we were discovering this idea of hey, there's no newsprint, there's no paper, you can print anytime you want. You can write as long as you want. You can have a comment section. Greg, they're going to have a comment section. Imagine the great things that could happen when everybody can respond to what you write. All of this stuff was new then. And uh, Pete DuPont was in the office probably about once or twice a week. And I was interning, I think, about two, three days a week there. Um, I got to be sitting at, we didn't have a particularly big staff, probably, uh, I'm going to say, half a dozen to a dozen people all told. And on the editorial side, it was pretty small. So I got to periodically recommend ideas to Pete DuPont. And very often he would laugh at me, Greg. Um, <laughs> I, I exaggerate slightly. But you know, I, am, I am 20, 21 years old. My level of knowledge about politics is not that of a former governor and former presidential candidate. And I, do, I distinctly remember on one day him staring at me and saying, were you dropped on your head as a child? You know? <laughs> Um, and, and not, but he did it in a good-natured way. It was not mean or anything like that. But by the way, if you if you listen to our podcast, you're like, wow, Jim has no po- tolerance for millennials who say their feelings got hurt. This is why, people. This is what happens in the workplace. You take your lumps, you get used to it, and you slowly climb your way up the ladder. And people, you start learning more, and people start listening to you more. And all of a sudden, those ideas you have start getting better, and you begin to realize that all these ideas you had at age 20 or 21 were not so. Uh, uh, dramatic, or <laughs> we're not such brilliant and, and, and striking at, at the time. I didn't, yeah, you know, and then I went back to work for them a few years later in the year 2000. This was shortly after, um, so policy.com and intellectualcapital.com had this brilliant idea. We created this terrific product. We just had this little flaw, Greg, you may have encountered in, on a radio business might be a little bit different, but um, we hadn't figured out how to make money 
Oh, that's that. kind of important. Kind of important. We, we had venture capital, and I guess the idea was just venture capital would come in forever. And uh, the turn, lo and behold, that wasn't the case. And uh, uh, so we were sold to another company, and that's when you know Pete Dupont uh, uh, cut his ties. And then the dot com crash came. I don't even know who has the URLs for these sites anymore. It's all long gone. I have a couple of things that I did from back then printed out. But anyway, the short version is that Pete Dupont. Um, in addition to being a kind, smart, exceptionally insightful guy, talked to the interns and didn't mind interacting with the interns and kind of enjoyed joking around with the interns. And also at that time, he recognized very early on how much the internet could become a, uh, a force for good in our politics. And I think we dispute that its record there has been mixed, um, but he saw the potential there. And uh, I am very lucky to have had that little bit of time with him. And uh, I'd say he very much will be missed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he crystallized his personality very, very well there. And by the way, if you have a business either that's in Delaware because of the very friendly business climate, or you've started a business in Delaware, even though your business has nothing to do with Delaware other than you filed that it's existing there, uh, you can thank Pete Dupont for that. He made it the business-friendly uh, haven uh, that it still is today. So, uh Jim, uh, excellent remembrance. Uh, good to start the week with you. I uh, wish it hadn't been on such a sad note here at the end, but uh, a great legacy that uh, Pete Dupont leaves behind. Have a good day, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you haven't already. Please encourage your friends to do that. Uh, we're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Uh, find us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Monday, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. There always seems to be something crazy going on in the news, but don't worry, we're here to help break it down for you. Gas prices are beginning to skyrocket as demands grow, people are going out more as mask mandates are starting to be lifted, and politics is taking over television. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.